0: This show has been brought to you by Anarchy Wear. They are a great organization who sells clothing, banners like what's behind me, hats, all kinds of stuff. And they're absolutely amazing. Not only do they put out awesome content, they also make awesome things like this. And if you're a Spooner fan, you have this. Let me stand up. I didn't sign shit, Lysander Spooner. If you're a Spooner fan, you'll totally understand. If you're not a Spooner fan, Get in my DMs and I'll let you know because he's one of the greatest to ever do it. This flag behind me, enemy of the state, man, that's Murray Rothbard. The greatest to ever do it. I'm a Rothbardian. He is my favorite economist. Um, he is my favorite anarchist, libertarian, whatever you want to call him. Fantastic material that he's put out. Um, I highly recommend you read his books. But Wear has everything from bold to cute and and modest you know what I mean so like check them out at anarchyware on X aka Twitter um at anarchyware.ca on anything meta being Facebook and or Instagram they're awesome I love those guys they're doing great things and I highly recommend you follow them and get some goods from them man I love everything I have from these guys and they're amazing and and let me throw this in for you. If you use promo code buds in reality, buds letter N reality. I know you know how to spell. If you're watching this show, you're pretty smart. I know you are. <laughs> Anyways, get at them, get yourself some gear. And if you use the promo code buds in reality, you will get yourself 15% off. Who doesn't like a deal? So get at them, check them out. They are great, awesome people. Thank you for the sponsor. And let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Buds and Reality Show. I'm Sean Collins, your favorite anarchist. And we got Chase Oliver back in the house this week, man. How you doing?
1: Uh, Doing great. You know, getting a couple days at home of rest and relaxation in between campaign legs. uh, But otherwise, staying very busy, getting out there and spreading the message of liberty to as many people as possible. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, living the dream.
0: By staying busy, I I think that might be an understatement for you guys. Because you've literally been making your rounds. Like, you've gone from state to state to state to state to state, convention to convention to convention, and it's still going. Like, we're we're not we're not done yet, you know, and it's got to be – how taxing is it really on, on the body and stuff? Because let's be honest here, none of us are 25 anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the travel sucks. You know, that's the worst part of it, right, is having to get on airplanes and things like that and sleeping in hotel rooms. But, like, just to give a glimpse of kind of, like, what our schedule is currently at, Let's we'll go through like the last little bit of time to where we're at and then where we're going. So uh, this past Thursday, I was in Minnesota. And then on Friday, I flew to Little Rock, Arkansas, where I was at the Libertarian Party of Arkansas Convention. Uh, then we uh, also uh, went to the Libertarian Party of Missouri Convention uh, as well that evening. Uh, and then Saturday, we were at uh, or no, sorry, that was Saturday. We were at both those conventions uh, and then we went to uh, the Libertarian Party of Kentucky uh, as well as I'm, I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, my God. Why is my brain not working? No, no. <laughs> Minnesota, Arkansas, Missouri, uh, Louisville, back home. That's where I'm at right now. OK, we're here in Atlanta right now. Uh, and on Thursday, I'll be flying out to New York City to participate in the free and equal debates. Uh, me, Lars, Mapstead, said another libertarian, and then uh, four socialists I think are invited, uh, four leftists essentially. So I like those odds. Me and Lars got this covered. Uh, uh, we're gonna do great. And then Friday I'll be in Indiana. Saturday I'll be in both Virginia and Pennsylvania. Sunday in New Jersey. Monday in Alabama, and then I get to come back home on Tuesday. So that just gives you kind of a glimpse of how busy the campaign is staying. Uh, and that's the kind of energy we're going to need to go right through November to have any kind of impact. So, uh, I hope the delegates around the country are paying attention to see how busy the campaign is. And of course they can always help the campaign. If they want to become a donor supporter, uh, let me just go ahead and throw the plug for vote to get out there. If you want to help out, uh, and help us travel across the country, every dollar is appreciated.
0: That's awesome, man. And you have been busy, you know, I keep up on, you know, where you guys are going and whatnot. And, uh, I, I I don't think I could travel like that. I I personally I just I, I'm a recluse, so it's like hard for me to be like, oh, well, we gotta go here, here, and here. I'm like, eh, my bed sounds a lot better. You know, but 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 the thing is, man, you have been, you know, making your rounds and, and you've been definitely making your voice heard. Um let's go back to Iowa real quick. Let's let's start there because you cleaned house in Iowa. You really did. Like it it wasn't even a close uh a close thing uh neither was it for for trump either you know when it was the whole iowa caucus thing now when they do these caucuses are you guys able to like get your voice heard get get some national attention or at least some media attention or is oh, this just yeah. word you know word of mouth stuff
1: yeah uh, we actually got a nice media spike actually out of the state of iowa and even you know some national news organizations uh, sharing the, the results of the Libertarian Party of Iowa's caucus. And that's because uh, LP Iowa in 2022, they won major party status with their candidate for governor. Uh, and because of that, you know, we got a little increased media attention. It's how I got on stage at the or that and, you know, campaigning within the state and earning media as a campaign. That was kind of like the, the threshold is like, if you're a major party and your candidates are campaigning in the state and taking Iowa seriously, we'll invite you on stage. Uh, And so I I was like, challenge accepted. Let's do that. And so I spent a considerable amount of time in the state because uh, getting on that soapbox stage put a libertarian on the same stage that Republican and Democratic candidates for president were on. Ron DeSantis was on that stage. Donald Trump was on that stage, uh, I believe, in 2016 when he ran. Uh, You know, uh, all the other Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and all the other ones were on that same stage. And I was the only libertarian. And I'm the first candidate who wasn't a Republican or a Democrat who ever got to do that because I invested time in Iowa. I think that translated to what you said was an overwhelming, you know, Iowa caucus when it was a a blizzard. It was like negative 20 degrees and still got uh, people out to cast their vote, cast their voice. And in the room, uh, you know, I was in Polk County, which is the largest county in Iowa. Uh, And so in that room, I got to speak to those libertarians uh, face to face job getting the message out via text banking and other things and it translated to a victory like a a a, a pretty good win in that straw poll now it doesn't bound the delegates uh you know and those delegates have been chosen for the state of iowa now but i think it's indicative of the work our campaign's done and the work we could do if we're the nominee
0: that's awesome man I, I dig it and uh it's been cool to watch you know through the past year or so you know because last year i had you Lars and Mike termadan like pretty much almost simultaneously not back to back to back but pretty much and then all of a sudden uh you know a Josh Smith jumped in and a Michael Rechtenwald jumped in you know so and and there's been more since then we get we got a ballet in my side there's
1: Jacob Hornberger there's Charles Belay I met, Belay, him, okay. at the, uh, I met him in person at a couple of conventions um and then there's Joseph Collins he's also going to be at the Pennsylvania debate that I'm going to be at later this week
0: okay. Now, out of the bunch and and feel free to toot your own horn, that's fine, but out of the bunch, who do you feel are the top three front runners of the libertarian party?
1: well, you know i I can't really uh you know, I'm kind of doing our delegate math. I would say I'm comfortably and definitely in that top three, right like you know i I don't want to i I try to stay humble. I don't want to call myself a front runner, but I think if we look at the metrics, you know in terms of I have the most number of volunteers, the most number of donors, the most miles traveled, the most media earned. I think I've won the most straw polls across the country at this point. So I feel like our campaign is in an extremely comfortable position right now with where we're at. And as long as we keep uh, chugging along, I think we're going to do really, really well at convention and, and ultimately win this thing. Uh, who else do I think has been running a really hard race? Uh, you know, really, you mentioned the kind of the two earlier uh, guys who've been running the longest. I think Mike Tremont and Lars Mapstead, I think there's something to speak to both of those guys uh, running as early as they have. And they both, uh, they, they present something e- equally different in this race uh, that I think could complement you know, me as well. Uh, you know, I look at all of the other candidates. I even look at Josh and Michael Rechtenwald and Jacob Hornberger and the others that we've mentioned, uh, the first people I look at to be a running mate. So I'm really kind of just kind of keeping my eye on who's running an effective campaign, who's got a great team underneath them, who's uh, who's got an effective plan, right? It's not just enough to, like, have great policy or be able to speak really well, but who's really putting the, the pieces together to run the most effective kind of campaign? Uh, because, you know, selfishly, I'm kind of looking for who might be my best running mate. Uh, but I think we mentioned kind of the heavy players there, but if I was to just say top three, just to be just to not uh, insult anybody else, I'm just saying this because we've been running the longest. I'll just say me, Mike, and Lars, just because uh, those are the those are the two guys that I've seen the most uh, along the road, along my travels uh, throughout this campaigning. Uh, and so, you know, I'm I'm not gonna name the top three front runners, but I'm going to say the people that I see the most on the road are me, Mike, and Lars. And uh, I think I'm very comfortable to be doing very well at convention, and hopefully this continues through the process as we travel to the states and uh you know i hope folks who are already delegates if you're watching this and if you have any questions or you have any feedback or you want to talk to me as i want to talk to you please reach out to the campaign we're going to try to reach out to as many of you as possible over the next few months uh but it really helps us if you go ahead and reach out directly to us uh you can reach me uh chase.oliver at vote shoot me an email if you're a delegate i'd love to hear from you
0: awesome man now let me ask you this you know in a in a in a Political climate that is boiling would, would be an understatement. I don't even know what to call it. It's on fire and it's a massive fire. What is the most important issue to you if you happen to get elected? What is like the number one thing that you want to fix immediately?
1: Well, I think we have to look at what we can immediately fix. Things that we don't need congressional legislation for uh and so the first thing that i always tell people that i would do is like if i if i were to be elected if the if the if the uh confluence of events happens where a libertarian is elected president uh as soon as i take the oath of office i'm going to go right to the microphone and pardon julian Assange, edward snowden ross albrecht and leonard peltier those are four people that are indicative of the kind of people that need to be pardoned in this country whistleblowers and activists uh, people who have spent way too long in, in jail for the supposed crimes they committed. And then uh, I would let people know that if you are currently in federal prison for a nonviolent victimless crime, your pardon's coming. As soon as I get your name in front of me, the pardon is going to be coming to you. <clears throat> That's something the president can do using the power of the pardon. And we don't have to wait until the end of our term to just only pardon our politically well-connected buddies like uh, Trump did. You know, Trump could have pardoned Edward Snowden. Biden could pardon him right now. Uh, they refuse to do so because they know that they give power to the war machine that leads me to the second thing that i would be able to start dismantling if i'm president if you're elected president you're commander-in-chief you can demand the dismantling of the warfare immediately call a meeting of the joint chiefs of staff and let them know they need to be closing 15 uh, percent of their bases within the next two years immediately That this needs to start the process of removing the military footprint of the united states from every continent that is not north america and from every nation that is in the united states uh and start that process we need to do this in a way that is respectful of the fact that there there are there's infrastructure in place that we need to draw down you do it quickly give me 15 percent in two years of drawing down our foreign bases our foreign military wars we're going to stop the policy of drone bombing immediately we're going to stop the extrajudicial uh spying wire, warrantless wiretapping the programs i will direct uh, all those agencies to begin to draw down those extra constitutional measures that they've been taking. We're going to return back to where, if you need to get a warrant, you get a warrant from a judge. Uh, no, no more of this warrantless crap that we've been having since 9/11. Uh, and then, lastly, you know, we can start dismantling the drug war immediately. If I'm the president of the United States, I will immediately direct the DEA to deschedule all drugs effectively decriminalizing them in all 50 states state governors can decide what they want to do there though i will encourage decriminalization uh and destigmatization of addiction so that we can actually address this as a medical issue and not as a throw people in jail and lock away the key issue uh and i will lead the way as president of the united states so those are three things on day one and you would make you know you'd probably make a lot of enemies but you're gonna make a lot of news on day one as well so uh and i, I see no reason to wait for those three things that a president can do uh, with the stroke of a pen.
0: As somebody who's really huge on foreign policy, um, I love wh- where you're coming from with that, but how are you going to get that done? Because you're not just going to just do that with the swipe of a pen and not get any kickback from Congress or Senate or anybody else who's got their you know, their dirty dick beaters. I'm sorry for my language, um, but whoever's got their dirty dick beaters, you know, in this, in this war machine, because they're yeah. not going to let you do that. So how, what's your plan to make this happen?
1: Well, right. r- first plan is to have a badass running mate so that if uh, the worst happens to me, that we have somebody else who will take the mantle up immediately and continue the path of dismantling the war machine. But uh, if I were elected president, you know, uh, we have to take that case to the American people you know, directly to the people. If Congress wants to try to do anything, uh, luckily I have the the power of the veto and it requires a two thirds vote to override a veto. Uh, And I believe that uh, with enough political chaos that we already have, it's hard to get Congress to do two thirds of anything at this point. Uh, Frankly, if I can convince them to get two thirds of a vote together, it'd be like a first time that's happened in quite a while. Uh, That would seem uh, Kind of radicalization of our foreign policy changing it back to something that is more sensible getting ourselves away from this constant state of warfare uh but yeah you're right the challenges would be immense right the threat would be crazy but we have to do it like and and this is the thing if i'm getting elected president that means that other things have happened we likely have libertarian members of congress libertarian members of the senate hopefully elected if we're winning states in the electoral college right we're hopefully winning other statewide races. We're helping push people like, you know, uh, uh, you know, in California, Gail Lightfoot, like if I want if I were to win the state of California and somehow we're winning electoral votes. Right. Uh, I would hope that it would help Gail Lightfoot win her Senate race or, um, you know, other people likely. Right. I would be pulling up people with me. And so I would hope that I would have enough of a support system out there to create a real slate of people who could speak out against the war machine. And it's why I'm currently trying to help as many candidates get elected as possible. It's one of my focuses for 2024 beyond just winning the White House. I want to get as many local electable libertarians uh, going. Uh, You know, there's another one that just came out. Uh, Michael White, man, he ran That's an awesome home, race man. for Congress in Arkansas, <laughs> ran an awesome race for Congress in Arkansas. Now he's running in a two way race for state legislature. It's a winnable race. Uh, and he is going to be somebody who's to look out for. And I fully endorse him. So if you're somebody who wants to get some change done down in Arkansas, help support Michael White. Uh, the more winnable, electable libertarian races we can identify as a campaign and help push across the finish line, just like Michael White in Arkansas, uh, the better. And so we want to help identify those folks. If you're running as a candidate, you're hearing this right now, and you think, man, help! I, I, I have a race that I can win. I, I'm ready to go out there. Uh, we have an endorsement tab on my website. Go to votechaseoliver.com. Click the endorsement tab. Fill that out. And we'll try to schedule a phone call or a meeting with you so we can discuss your race and help push the you need to get you across the finish line. And if I'm the nominee, uh, that, that's one of the main things I'm committing myself to, because we're going to build this party from the grassroots Change begins at the grassroots, and if we don't have a real foundation, uh, what are we going to be building upon that? And we need to really rebuild the foundation, Libertarian Party, to grow and survive and thrive over the next fifteen or twenty years as the Gen Z voters rise, and uh, and we have a whole huge voter pool of new voters. So uh, I'm committed to doing that work. Uh, I would hope anybody who would be the nominee is, but I'm spelling it out right here, right now during the primary process, that that is a main focus of the campaign uh because what are we doing otherwise? Uh, and so when loser draw the White House, we're gonna have victories if I'm our if I'm our candidate. Uh ballot access victories, local libertarian victories. And uh, I'm committing myself to double our party's membership and hold it for the next four years. So whomever our nominee is in 2028, they have twice as much wind in their sails uh, at the beginning of this process.
0: I dig that I dig that and I'm glad you brought up Michael White. He's actually a, a good friend of mine and and I actually knew what he was doing before he announced it. And I kept my mouth shut like a good boy. I was like, cause I texted him one day. I was like, cause he, he sent the teaser out there and I was like, Hey man, you're not going to leave me hanging like that. And he's like, okay, I'll tell you, keep your mouth shut. And I did, but like, he's going to win. He's going to win that race. And he, that's going to be, you know, I would love to see a libertarian president as well. You know, but that's going to be, I believe, the beginning of the takeover.
1: Well, I, I can't wait to get uh, become our party's nominee, get out there and campaign in Arkansas and knock on doors with Michael to help get him elected and help get libertarian votes out in that district. Uh, we want to make sure that's the, you know, one of the goldest districts uh, in the country. We're going to find other races that do, can do the exact same thing, whether it's a state legislature race or a, a mayor's race, a sheriff's race, county commission race, whatever it is. If we can find identifiable, winnable races out there. Uh, and, and folks are ready to get out there. And let me just say this. I'm not talking about paper candidates, y'all. If you want me to endorse off, you got to know your win number because I want to know what the number of votes we got to get in that area is, uh, whether it's an outright win or a ballot access win, whatever your wins are, we need to know that information. Uh, and you got to commit yourself that if I'm in that district running around as running uh, for, you better get ready to put some feet to the pavement, and knock on some doors and throw some yard signs out there and, and, and do that work. Uh, because if you're not, you know, again, what are we doing? So, uh, if you want that endorsement, you better commit yourself to being a serious candidate and getting out there knocking on doors. Uh, but I would love to have you on the, you know, on the team, on the, uh, on the ballot team for Libertarian party. Let's get it done. You guys let's elect hundreds of Libertarians across the country, if not thousands and really start making a change in our country. Let's start freeing ourselves from the abuses of government and putting people in power who can do that.
0: Let's go, man. I love that. Now, moving on to something else, because hypothetically, if you do get the nod and you do get elected, you're going to inherit a mess. And I mean a serious, serious mess. And you got people like David Webb and you have people like the great G. Edward Griffin saying that, you know, things are going to happen with the American dollar. The dollar is going to collapse and it's not a matter of if, it's when. And, and I think a lot of us know that by now. Anybody who's listening to this show knows that because the, the whole banking system is kind of something I harp on on the show. Um, when you inherit or if you inherit this situation where the dollar is collapsing, what is going to be your first move? And I know this is a crazy question, but this isn't out of the realm of possibility, especially when you have the man who wrote Creature from Jekyll Island saying these things.
1: Yeah, well, you know, ultimately the goal is is to somehow get ourselves back to a sound monetary policy. I would like to see our dollar eventually one day uh, backed up by something that's finite. You know, gold, silver, saffron, you know, whatever it is. Like find something that has a finite value. Or that has some sort of intrinsic value, and let's get our money tied back to this. Now, that's kind of long-term thinking. That's going to require us eventually to get rid of the entire Federal Reserve, like the the, the whole banking system. What it all, you know, I am an in the Fed libertarian. Uh, but what can we do first to try to get our dollar under control, get inflation under control immediately? Is if I'm elected president, I can require a balanced budget. Uh, if you don't give me a balanced budget, it gets vetoed because part of what's creating the massive inflation that we've had over the last few years, particularly since COVID is the printing of money out of thin air. You know, if you're just, you're just cutting to the pie, uh, you're devaluing each dollar. And that is a hidden tax that hits everyone's pocket, regardless of where your money is. If your money's invested in a business, inflation affects it. If it's in your pocket, inflation affects it. If it's in a savings account, inflation affects it. It's, it, it's, it's a tax you can't get away from. There's no offshore bank account you can hide your dollars that make them suddenly less inflated if the dollar keeps getting printed out of control. And so we have to insist on a balanced budget. So we're not printing trillions of dollars under the spreadsheet to cover the debts and deficits of the United States of America. Uh, if we can get that under control, we'll see a tampering down of inflation, and we'll see what it happened the last time we balanced the budget. Last time we had a balanced deficit, you know, we went deficit neutral. We Clinton. had the largest growth of the middle class our country's ever seen. Uh, that was in the late '90s, early two, th- you know, early Clinton.
0: 2000s. That was Clinton. But yeah. then the dot com uh, burst happened and then it was the the point of no return after that cuz it was the dot com bust and then it was the 911 and then it never stopped yep. so so hypothetically some some of these things happen not the same things but something like these things what are you going to do to combat this
1: well you would have to cut spending and not bail out these firms that fail so uh, first thing that i would say is you know we can get ourselves to a balanced budget without an incredible amount of change like uh, the discretionary budget is you know we can get that under control if we just took our current revenues and got ourselves down to pre-COVID level spending. That's how it's gotten out of control since COVID. Uh, but assuming you know um, you know we were involved in some sort of economic downturn, what would the United States have to do? Uh, we would have to cut spending to keep in line with a balanced budget. It's what every American family has to do when calamity hits them. Uh, but let's say we have another uh, real estate slash banking crisis. Like we had in 2008, the biggest mistake that we did was bailing out the banks the way we did. The banks should have failed. They should have failed, fallen, liquidated their assets, bought up by another organization that could have better managed those assets. Uh, you would have probably had instead of like three or four big banks, you would have had 30 or 40 smaller banks across the country that would have divested and invested in those uh, in uh, uh, those assets. You know, they'd take piece by piece. Uh, and that's actually a more healthy way for the economy to run. When a business fails, it's supposed to. That's the way the free market works. If it fails, it's supposed to fall down. It's supposed to break apart, and people are supposed to buy up those assets at liquidated prices so they can better manage them. Like this is not rocket science. What happened is is the hand of the government got in the way saying, "Oh well, we can't let this happen because there will be economic pain." But the problem is is it's uh it's exacerbating the pain. It's going to make the pain worse. Uh, you know, Milton Friedman used this same analogy, so I'm not the originator of this. Uh, but the way we're spending our money, the way our economy is, is it's like an it's like an alcoholic who's just constantly drinking. It's like they're downing a, just like a bottle of vodka right now. They're just tipping it up, uh, and we have to take the bottle out of their hands. Now, will that create pain for the drunk? Yes, he'll probably go through the DTS. He'll go through withdrawal. It will suck for him, but eventually he will get beyond that, and the body will start to heal. That's so what we have to do for our economy. The longer we wait, the longer we wait to get ourselves under control, to stop printing trillions of dollars, to put our budgets under balance, to start paying down the debts and deficit, the more pain we're going to feel. We continue kicking that can down the road until eventually there's nowhere else to kick it. And it's going to probably be our kids or grandkids that suffer this fate if we don't turn the course now. And, uh, you know, I want to sound the alarm. I want to sound the alarm as somebody who's under the age of 40, who does not want to retire in squalor with an economy that has hyperinflation. I don't want us to get to the point of Argentina before electing somebody with a libertarian economic mindset, right? Like that was the worst part of that, is that they had to wait till desperation set in before people finally gave the libertarian economists a chance. Let's put libertarian economics in the White House now, get to 140% inflation and one in four of us being in abject poverty.
0: Yeah, I believe Argentina was right around 140 to 150 percent inflation per year for a long time,
1: and they just had a they just had another spike, but now it seems to be leveling, and uh, budgets seem to be coming back under you know under balance, and it seems like this is the slow turnaround. It won't be instantaneous. There's going to be a lot of pain in Argentina. Again, they That's... kick the can further down the road than we did, and so the pain that their people are going to feel will be pretty severe, but you know, they're taking the bottle out of the hand, you know, they're taking the bottle out of the hands of the drunk, so to speak. And we need to do the exact same thing. Only our economy is, you know, exponentially larger than Argentina's. So uh, our crash will be way harder and we need to avoid it.
0: Well, I don't necessarily believe that there's a way to, to avoid the crash. It's, it's inevitable at this point, they, they printed the money into oblivion, Um We've literally had the chair of the Federal Reserve recently on 60 Minutes saying out loud, he said the quiet part out loud, finally, that the United States spending is not sustainable. He finally said, they finally said this out loud. I've never heard anybody say that in the Federal Reserve ever.
1: Well, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe it's the optimist in me that thinks that our country can turn this around uh, before it's too late, Uh, you know, and, and, and that's, of course, why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know. Uh, I think there has to be a possibility for political change that heads us in the right direction that 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 reverses course here. Uh, but I am aware, you know, I worked in logistics for a long time, you know, container ships. It takes a lot of effort just to turn the ship just a little bit. Uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do, man. We're trying to move that rudder on this giant ship of an economy that we have uh, before we slam right into an iceberg. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it can be done, but it has to be done quickly. Like the time is running out. It is sounding the alarm. <laughs> Uh, this is no longer decades down the line that we have to think about this. This is years down the line that we have to think about this uh, before we get to a point of no return. So uh, maybe it's maybe it's the idealist to me that thinks we can get it done. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't argue with people who say glass half empty either. Right. They they have a lot of evidence on their side to say the glass is half empty and not half full, so to speak. So uh, well, I mean, we will see we will see how we land. We will see how we go. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, that it ends up in the right direction, correct?
0: Whether the glass is half empty or half full, you can still fill it up with whiskey anyway, so whatever. You know, but but like, let's talk about this for a second though, because the monetary system is, is in in my opinion, the monetary system is most important to the American culture because he who controls the monetary system controls it all. You know, and this is why we have central bankers who control everything. And it's this this little group of people in the Federal Reserve. They control not only the interest rates, they control inflation, they control the value of the dollar. It's been known for, for central banks to not only inflate the dollar, but also deflate the dollar. This has happened in history. The deflation of the dollar has happened as well. You know, and how are we and i'm not i don't think that's ever happened under the fed we're going way back when we're talking about deflation of the dollar mm-hmm. but you know the fact of the matter is is that the, the money situation needs to be controlled by the people themselves rather than a bank or a government otherwise there's no control um from the people whatsoever it's just government and bankers well
1: and this is one of the bankers- reasons why you know I think it's important for us to, and while it might not be like the boilerplate, like top of the policy issue for most voters, it is important to sound the alarm and make sure that folks know that we oppose things like CBDCs, Central Bank Digital Currency. And I do support things like Bitcoin and being able to invest yourself and separate your money from the state completely using that as a means. Um, I see, I you know, I see more and more uh, uh, industries and organizations using Bitcoin as a, as a means to... Uh, escape authoritarianism and money by having, you know, with foreign employees and things like that. uh, You know, I I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. I think that's a wonderful thing and that's something we can promote and encourage people to actually separate their money entirely from the state if possible, as much as possible. Uh, And I, and like I said, ultimately I would love for our money to get back to being like valued with something that has an intrinsic value. um, And so that you're not artificially inflating and deflating the dollar. It's like, it's, it's tagged to the price of a precious metal, like gold or silver, Uh, And if we were able to get ourselves back to that, which, again, very long term thinking like this is not going to happen, probably this wouldn't happen in the first or even second, probably like likely all of our administration, we could get ourselves untie the knot enough to get ourselves back to this. But ultimately, that has to be the goal. uh, If we want to continue having a dollar uh, would be to have it, you know, a monetary system that's actually based on something that's realistic and not just the fiat currency system. But in the meantime, invest in Bitcoin, if you like. Uh, It's a great way to do that. Uh, But make sure legislation that is trying to pass CBDCs fails at every step of the way. Uh, We got to we got to nip that in the bud before it even gets out of the gate, because once you uh, remove uh, the ability for you to hold currency that the government can't maintain its eye on, because that's what CBDCs would do. They would ultimately remove cash from the system. Uh, You have no privacy in the things you purchase. Oh, you want to pay the neighbor boy down the street fifty bucks under the table to mow your lawn? Oh no, no, can't do that. The government knows about it now. You want to, you know, you want to, uh, hey, you want to buy your bag of pot from your from your dude down the street? Oh, can't do that. It's unlicensed, and that's not the way it works anymore because uh, you're using you know digital currency that the government can keep its eye on. This is a problem. Uh, this is why I believe even, uh, firms like Venmo and others need to really be tightening up their security policies and making sure that they are doing everything they can to actually prevent government from spying on these things. But, uh, I, I don't have faith. (laughs) Let's just say, I don't have faith that those people won't survive the squeeze of government when government tries to knock down their doors and get information.
0: Well, I mean, that's what the government does best. And that's what, that's why they're they're where they are today. Now, let me ask you this, since we're talking money, you know, Just like Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard, would you be that easy to put us back on it?
1: Oh, yeah. If I could, if I could wave a magic wand, yes, I'd put us back on the gold standard. Okay. If you look at why the Libertarian Party was founded, uh, why was it founded? It's because there were people who got pissed off enough that uh, Nixon was continuing the war in Vietnam, a war machine overseas, uh, using using violence to perpetuate uh, death overseas uh and that he took us off the gold standard that's what got david nolan and others pissed off enough to get into a room and say you know what found our entire party along these principles of sound monetary policy opposing the foreign warfare state uh treating people with equal respect under the law these kind of classical uh dare i say classically liberal values in a lot of cases too (laughs) like if we look at things like meritocracy markets free markets free trade uh, free speech, free expression. These are the founding principles of the Libertarian Party. And so, as we are now over 50 years beyond this, we need to continue to push those principles forward. We cannot be political weather vanes. We cannot be th- somebody that blows the wind. We have to continue to hold those principles true. Uh, because if we do, you know, uh, as the rest of the world moves, we plan ourselves down and we don't change and i think that that consistency is what makes us different from many political parties out there uh and you know spoiler alert this is why i would absolutely oppose rfk seeking our nomination there's other great libertarians i'm running with for this nomination rfk is not one of them because he's not a libertarian Uh, if you were to seek (laughs) our party's nomination if you were to somehow buy our party's nomination rent our ballot access we as a party shouldn't deserve to exist Because if we're not putting a Libertarian at the top of the Libertarian Party ticket, uh, then we are wasting our time, the time and effort of thousands of activists uh, across the country. uh, And frankly, it would be a spit in the face of David Nolan and the other party founders uh, who met uh, with the purposes of liberty and not a cast off Democrat who's upset that he couldn't beat the nomination out of Biden. Uh, That's just not what we want as a party.
0: This show is sponsored by Infinite Zeal Syndicate. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Infinite Zeal. He is a great liberty minded fella that just wants to share the message of liberty and also has fantastic merch like this hat I'm wearing right now. You see me wear it on every show. Um, He's a great gentleman and I uh, highly suggest you give him a follow because he's one of the good ones, ladies and gentlemen. Now let's get on with the show. So, uh, I'm actually glad you brought up RFK because I have a ton. And when I say a ton, I shouldn't say a ton, but I probably have a good dozen receipts that will show that RFK is far from a libertarian. He's actually more of a socialist than a libertarian, if anything.
1: Um, You know. he isn't toying with getting the Green Party's nomination. He's much more aligned with their politics. But why is he not doing that? Well, because they don't have the ballot access. We, right. do. the only reason he's even trying to toy with us and kind of be coy and and do that is two reasons. A, he wants to try to steal our voters. He wants to seem somehow attracted to the libertarian voter. Which, if any serious libertarian looked into his policies, they they wouldn't. That wouldn't last. But secondly, he wants to try to get our nomination if he is going to see your nomination merely for ballot access because it makes it easier for him. Now, um, I welcome him to become a ballot access advocate. I think he's learning right now firsthand how tough ballot access can be for candidates. And I would welcome him to join us and the Green Party and other parties out there in fighting for fair and free ballot access. Uh, But you know what? He is um, he's not a libertarian. He doesn't deserve our party's uh, our party support. Hell and, no, uh,
0: not, he and let me just say
1: this. If he's our nominee, if the Libertarian Party nominates him, I'm voting no to for president.
0: I'll leave the party. I'll be done. That that'll be the end of the road for me. I'm already I
1: don't think you'd be the only one. I don't you know, think you'd be the only well, one. Well, here's the
0: catch. I'm already very disheartened with the Libertarian Party as a whole right now. Um, especially being in the state of Michigan, and I'm sure you know what's going on here. Um I'm over it. Like it's 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 utterly ridiculous. We have we have people with I let me just put it out there i believe that the libertarian party has been infiltrated by not only feds but duopoly bad actors and i feel like a lot of the infighting that is that is around right now is coming from that um that's just my personal opinion i have no receipts on that but from what i see i feel like we have been infiltrated by the uniparty asshats and the feds
1: so i believe in occam's razor which is the most simple explanation is oftentimes the correct one uh, and if I were to say what's probably the most cause of libertarian infighting, it is the personality type of a lot of libertarians. Uh, we tend to be hyper individualistic a lot of the times. And sometimes that can lead us into echo chambering our thinking, uh, siloing the way we think and really to come together with people who agree with us on most things. But due to one or another disagreement, like we we absolutely write them up. The the weirdest thing to me is somebody who's like, oh, well, if you don't agree with this position. Uh, I'm a libertarian, and if you don't agree with this position, I'm just going to go vote for Donald Trump. It's like, oh, you're going to go vote for Donald Trump who disagrees with you on seventy percent of the things, uh, mm-hmm. not just one or things like that. That seems to me is to be always crazy, um, and and really, I think m- I'm trying to do my best. Have I participated in like infighting and you know criticizing party and whatever and having inflammatory messaging from time to time? Uh, yeah, I think every. Everybody who's worked for a certain amount of time in the party has, like, like let he who was without sin cast the first stone there. Um, but I can tell you this, in this campaign, I've been committed to not participating in that, to looking forward and looking outward to uh, uh, new voters and bringing them into the process. And I want the process to be as peaceful and welcoming as possible. Like, let me tell you right now, if I go through the process of being our nominee and I get... Mm-hmm thousands of new members interested in this party, and they get involved And all they see when they get to our local affiliates and our statewide affiliates is people yelling at each other and fighting with each other and just infighting. Uh, It will all be for naught. We have to be better about this. We have to be certainly more welcoming to people who, uh, and and this is the nature of my, got into this party because I was an anti-war person. Uh, You know, I was still technically a Democrat when I got introduced to the Libertarian Party. Um, but when I said I'm anti-war, uh, John Mons who was running for governor of Georgia at the time. He said, welcome home. This mm-hmm. is where you belong. Let's you know stay here for a minute and let's connect your anti-war views with the philosophy. of. Let's show how those things are related. I want to do that for millions of people across the country who have their libertarian issue or their libertarian thing. And, and let's connect that idea to the greater idea of liberty and a whole host of other issues that maybe they've never even thought about the liberty position on before. What if it's immigration? They care about immigrants' rights and free movement. Well, let's welcome them home to the Libertarian Party. What if they worry about their property rights being invaded by eminent domain if they're a farmer in the state of Iowa and they're seeing a gas pipeline being put through their land that they don't want? Welcome home to the Libertarian Party. What if you're seeing your, your money being taken out of your pocket in forms of taxes and being used to build bombs that are killing children overseas right now that are getting sold to foreign governments to be used to kill uh, innocent people? You should, whether you're 100% Libertarian or not, as a voter, you should be welcomed into the tent and let's connect those things that are important to you that are Libertarian-ish, Libertarian-esque, Libertarian in nature to the greater message of liberty. Because once we connect them to that, that's when you have a new lifelong activist, a new lifelong libertarian, somebody who's going to really always think about the liberty solution first. But if we're not welcoming, if we're not positive in nature, we're stuck in this infighting, then we're never, ever going to grow. And, uh, you know, and so that's what I'm trying to do as a candidate. Have I been perfect throughout my entire time as a libertarian? No, I'm a human being. I'm fallible, just like anybody else. Uh but I think that that's the best kind of messaging that will bring in millions of people. And once we do that, we win elections all over the country, and then we start dismantling the state piece by piece. And I think that's worth it. I think that's worth the effort to be professional and welcoming and building a coalition of libertarian voters across the country. I think that's a hell of a lot more worthwhile than a pissing contest at a convention or a pissing caucus controls which board. I think we need to get over ourselves a little bit and start getting to work on liberty.
0: Thank you for that. Because I've been saying that for, for quite some time now, just being in Michigan, you know, I, I, I did two, I did two podcasts about the infighting here in Michigan and I had people from the Mises caucus on and I had somebody on from the other guard. Okay. I did two separate shows, you know, and just to get both sides of the story and whatnot. And, and I, and, and I said the same thing. I'm like, everybody just needs to get over themselves and move forward like do we want to push liberty forward or not because like you said you know getting getting into it at at conventions and and affiliate meetings and stuff like that goes nowhere and if, the, if if you're a new guy coming in there if you're a new guy coming into the libertarian party and you go to the your first affiliate meeting and you got people screaming at each other they're not coming back
1: well and i they're. think you know i'm not going to speak too much about michigan other than to say that i believe that state affiliate issues need to be handled by those in the state uh, I'll let the members of the Libertarian Party of Michigan, you know, it's kind of a, it's like a schism right now. You know, there's, it's one church, two popes, right? Like there's two different people, in the leadership. Uh, I'll let the members of Libertarian Party of Michigan parse that out. They can handle that um for me i'm going to keep focusing on trying to spread the message of liberty in every state including michigan uh and as far as inter-party stuff you know i'm committed to not endorsing any candidate who's running inter-party whether it's for an officer position or whatever uh, i wish all of the candidates best of luck like good on you get that delegate support do your thing uh but i'm not going to participate in endorsing one or the other i will only be voting as a delegate from uh, and i trying to keep that as secret ballot as i can because i don't believe in being partial there um, and same with platform and bylaws. You know, I'm not endorsing one thing over the other. Uh, I may, as a delegate, speak to those issues, uh, but I'm not going to outright endorse one thing or the other. I'm going to do my job as an individual delegate uh, and as a candidate and not try to steer one way or the other. I trust that if I'm doing my job to get a delegation in place that walks into that hall to nominate me to be president uh, or a presidential candidate. Uh, I have to trust that they're also going to probably nominate some awesome people to be on the LNC. They're going to make some awesome platform and bylaw updates and things like this. And I don't have to worry about it because if I'm bringing in the people that I need to win, they're people who broadly kind of agree with my worldview, I would think, or, or or the idea that we need to have a professional going forward. And those people will be the people who will ultimately uh, win those elections. I would think, right. So, you know, my job, I I got the job of a candidate. I'm not running that inter-party race. And uh, if you are, God bless you. And, you know i hope you don't get the ulcers cuz it is a stressful stressful gig <laughs> uh you know running running for president is pretty stressful too i'm not going to lie but it's a different kind of stress and uh i i i much rather love the uh the idea of having to travel a whole bunch and speak to voters across the country and hear their concerns and their stories and that kind of stress is way better than political infighting and and sniping at each other and you know trying to be the uh, the king of the mountain uh i that's I, I, not as it's not as worthwhile sometimes uh but we do need to elect good leadership so those races have to happen i just hope that they're more uh uh more respectful and clean and uh and not really you know going at each other's throats nothing's worth that
0: that's right now 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 that being said you know there's a couple of topics that have been the uh front running of libertarian infighting. so i got to see where you're at on this and one of them is the border There are open border libertarians and there are closed border libertarians. Um, The platform itself states that we are open border people like Libertarian Party are pro open borders. But then you have people, you know, not going to name any names. You'll figure it out when I say it, though. But you have people who want to deploy the military, the entire U.S. military at that. They say bring the troops home and deploy the entire U.S. military on our borders.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not that guy. I'm an Ellis Island style of immigration. Uh, and so, you know, I believe that's, uh, that's right in line with our principles. You know, our platform says that you shouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, uh, from free movement by any, you know, by, by any unjust kind of means, like any, you know, and I think Ellis Island model is the way to go. So an Ellis Island model is pretty simple. Uh, if you want to come through this country, come through a port of entry, declare who you are. Uh, so we can run a quick background check on the 24th, you know, not a lot of time uh, and you come right on through and get to work if you want to get to work. Uh, this allows us to ex- uh, to, to continue to uh, respect our e- uh, extradition treaties that we would have with other trying to flee into the United States to get away from a crime that you've committed back home. Uh, we have to exercise those treaties because we want it to happen the reverse. You know, if somebody goes into South or Central America and uh, gets caught at a border stop Uh, We want them to get sent back home for the crimes they're they're due to be going to court for Um, asylum claims. Otherwise, you know, if you do have an asylum claim, it should be respected and honored. And that process should be its own thing. Uh, But really simplify the process as much as possible. I don't need quotas. We don't need giant walls with barbed wire. Uh, We don't need all this national, you know, this this uh, security theater and the, the police state at the border. We can have a much more simplified process that allows people just to get freely across the border as easily as possible. And then most people will just exercise that process. They'll just go right through those border crossings. No problem. And then we can really focus on those who are maybe are trying to still not do that. Uh, And those would be people who are trying to commit human trafficking, trying to commit people to come into this country for the purposes of human slavery. Well, uh, those people I do want our police to crack down on. I do want law enforcement to take care of. And to do that, we have to take the eye off the ball of the 99.9% want to come here and peacefully work. Otherwise, you're looking for a needle in a haystack. And so uh, as far as closed or open borders, I'm pretty much on the open borders position, which is in line with our principles over the last 53 years now. Uh, and I don't think it should change at all. And uh, even in this tough political climate where that might be a harder political sell, we have to do the work of doing that and message that, Immigrants aren't something to be scared of. They're just members of our community who have arrived here later than we did.
0: Well, I mean, as as a white person, and you're obviously white as well, your your ancestors are border jumpers. My ancestors are border jumpers. Like we're all immigrants, right? And yeah, immigrants well, built this country.
1: I went to Ellis Island and saw the Statue of Liberty. And uh the fact that I, you know, the thing that I learned there is uh four in ten Americans. Can trace their lineage back through the registry room of ellis island so four out of ten of us uh, those of us with irish last names or german or polish or italian uh last names in particular uh those the large jewish last names these are people who have particularly moved here in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century during the height of ellis islands immigration and these are generations of people who really helped build the fabric of this country like kind of what we know as modern day america you know Uh, Wouldn't exist without that wave of immigration, and I think it's a good thing. I think that's a, you know, it it builds to our melting pot, and I don't fear like replacement. Ooh, the great replacement—that's BS. That is that is fear mongering. BS put out there by right wing media to scare people into voting for Republicans or your money, send you off to war, and, and and keep. Talking the talk without walking the walk when it comes to fiscal conservatism or freedom or anything like that. So do not be fooled by this great replacement theory. No, if immigrants going to come here, guess what? They're going to become Americans uh, because we are the only country where that's even possible. To paraphrase a president I don't really love, Ronald Reagan, uh, he did say one time, you know, you can go and live in France for a decade, and become a Frenchman. You can go live in Japan, you'll never become Japanese. But anyone from anywhere can come here and become an American, and that's what makes us special. I do think that's one of those few pearls of wisdom that Reagan actually had uh, that I, I think is worthwhile, and, and it's a principle, founding principle of our nation. And uh, we should stand up to defend it and not be afraid to do that, just because uh, you know, oh no, we might we might seem too bleeding heart and too nice to people. Well, you know, liberty is an empathic position. Uh, and it's one that we should carry around for everybody, regardless of the color of their skin, or where they came from, or their national origin. Come here and work markets here.
0: Now, there's one more. Uh, well, there's many more, but one more big one that libertarians can't seem to get a grasp on within each other, and that's abortion. Um, mm-hmm. Where do where do you sit there? Because there are pro life and pro choice libertarians, and and in in my opinion. The government should be nowhere near that, um, you know, situation. As so, as a man, as a man, you know, I, I'm a Christian, number one. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm a born again Christian. My my Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. But in the Bible, they speak of free will. And if that's that woman's free will to do what she needs to do, that sin is between her and God, not between me and her, or her and government, or anyone else
1: yeah well, for me, i'm uh, I'm pro-choice. Now, let me explain that. and you know, if I just say I'm pro-choice, that can create a whole spectrum of answers there, right. Uh, but I believe in the that were set forth by Roe v. Wade and Casey. Like I think that's a the viability standard. um saying that uh, up to the point of viability, it is the choice of a woman post uh, point of viability, it is only applicable uh, in the life of the mother situation. Uh, I also believe in the Hyde Amendment. So no federal dollars should be going to fund abortion. I believe that's because this is a very contentious issue, and I don't believe in taking money out of taxpayers' pockets to go fund abortion if they are sincerely pro-life. Like I just think that's wrong to do. Uh, if they're if they're severely anti-abortion, we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, so I would support the Hyde Amendment. Uh, but also I think that there's a world we can do we can live in where you have legal, safe uh, abortion that is more and more rare over time because we increase the ability for Contraception access, things like making birth control over the counter, um, reducing the red tape and regulation around adoption, so that becomes a more viable option for women who become pregnant, who can say, well, you know, it's easier for people to adopt now, so there's less kids being coming wards of the state or becoming, you know, essentially orphaned by this process. Uh, making surrogacy far easier, uh, I think, is a great idea. So there's a lot of things we can do to ultimately make it where there's less abortions happening but that abortion is still something that is legally viable and uh, or legally available rather uh, for someone to access. And that fits right in line with the concept for me of bodily autonomy. Uh, You know, if you and me, Sean, we're walking down the street and uh, and you stabbed me in each of my kidneys, right? Oops. You stabbed me in my kidneys. And then you felt bad about it. You said, Oh man, you know what? I feel bad. I shouldn't have done that. And you cart me to the hospital and it's like a rural hospital. And they say, you know what? He needs a transplant to save his life. And turns out, Sean, you're a perfect match. You know, the state cannot compel you or force you to give me that kidney. You have to give it up willingly. Even if I'm going to die and the result of me dying is the actions you took, you cannot be compelled to give me the kidney. No one will charge you with murder if you don't give me the kidney. They might think you're an asshole. They might think you're terrible. Now, you're going to get charged with a murder. You stab me. But no one's going to add anything saying, well, you didn't save his life by giving him the kidney. There's no, there's no additional charge you would get for that because of bodily autonomy. Similarly, uh, you as a person cannot be forced to be a vessel for, for a being that is not viable on their own. Uh, you cannot be forced to be a tether to another life. Uh, and so ultimately bodily autonomy leads me to say that up to the point of viability, you should have the right to access an abortion. Whether you whether you morally agree with that or not, that's an entirely different conversation, and that's for a, each and every individual to conscientiously consider. And uh, fortunate for me, I lack a uterus, so I don't have to ever truly, con- you know, have that conversation with myself. It's never it's it's a decision I'll never have to make. Can I cons- counsel people? Women in my life who might have to make that decision? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's their decision to make, not mine. And uh, as a, a candidate for office, and certainly if I were elected president, it's not, a, it's not a decision I would seek to make for millions and millions of American women. And then we also have to remember, you know, women will have a miscarriage through, like they, they didn't even realize they were pregnant. They just have a miscarriage that they okay. mistook for a heavy period. And so we go about criminalizing abortion and criminalizing these things like, When do we draw that line? Like, where does that line get drawn? And how far are we willing to let the investigatory arm of the state get into the private lives of women to determine these things? Uh, That's a world that I just don't want to see. Because I think if you give that much control and autonomy for law enforcement over people's bodies, uh, we're looking for a really doomed future one day. uh, Because it's the same reason why I oppose the death penalty. Like, if you give the state the power to impose death upon you... You're giving them the power to control any aspect of your body, life and death. Uh, And so just on a moral factor, I would oppose that. Uh, Same in line with this.
0: I look at it like this. I'm married and I don't want to deal with one pissed off woman, let alone millions of pissed off women. That is like the last thing I want to deal with.
1: Well, I can tell you, (laughs) if Libertarian Party wants to grow our base with women, we need to respect the choice that women have to make in their autonomy. As I travel across the country, it doesn't matter whether I'm in a red state or a blue state. Uh, the most common question I get from uh, from millennial and Gen Z women is how do you feel about the right to an abortion and the right for me to make that choice? And as soon as I say I'm pro-choice, I can literally almost see their guard drop. Like, okay, you're worth talking to because I don't have to yell at you about why I deserve to be able to make that choice for myself. And so uh, to me, if we want to grow our party with women, we need to respect the choice that women have and their bodily autonomy here and understand that this is an issue that Men like myself really won't ever have to truly face the ultimate decision there. Um, and so we need to be listening to our women in our communities out there uh, who the are pro-choice here. Uh, doesn't mean there aren't people who respect the anti-abortion position. I do respect that for you if that's your personal choice. I happily will allow you to live that as your life. I will never try to compel you one way or the other. And I won't let judge you for, for holding anti-abortion views. I think that's actually a very uh you know it's a completely valid path i just don't think you should be making that choice for other people
0: i don't think people should be making choices for other people at all
1: let alone I think that like, should be just basically the boilerplate of the libertarian party you know
0: like i mean like at the end of the day like if somebody's not not hurting somebody taking their stuff or violating pro- private property it's nobody's business and as a matter of fact hannah cox pointed this out if you're worried about who your neighbor's sleeping with that's kind of creepy
1: yeah well it's think creepy. about this uh this is the elevator pitch i give people when they ask you what is a libertarian okay that because i get that question a lot as i travel across the country you know i'm talking to random people oh i'm a libertarian candidate for president uh invariably you get the question "Well, what is a libertarian and i say this a libertarian is someone who believes this If you're living your life in peace and you're not committing force, fraud, coercion, theft, or violence against another person, your life is your life, your body is your body, your business is your business, and your property is your, not the government's. Any interaction you have with the government should be voluntary at best, and at most, it shouldn't exist to begin with.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. Now- A majority of this show has been very serious and I don't want to keep you forever. So let's have a little bit of fun before we go.
1: Fun time. Fun
0: time. No, seriously. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, this stuff is so serious all the time and nobody ever just sits back and cracks jokes or whatever it may be. So let's have a little fun. So Mr. Oliver, first off, what are you reading right now? What is your advice when it comes to books?
1: So I am actually re-listening. I don't read a lot because I'm dyslexic and dysgraphic, so I do a lot of audiobooks. Okay. But I am re-listening to uh, the uh, uh, the it's it's called uh, not House of Fire. It's Fire and Blood. It is a uh, Game of Thrones history of the Targaryens. Okay. Uh, and I'm also listening to Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 1972 by Hunter S. Thompson. I wow. figure if I'm going to be on the campaign trail, maybe I'll listen to some Gonzo campaign trailing. So those are the t- now and uh, they're, they're very different from each other, but they're both quite interesting.
0: Right on, right on. Do you get into any economics books at all? Like, did you ever get into economics and all that?
1: I do occasionally, but I'll be honest with you, I don't read the the huge tomes all the time. I actually uh I demonstrated this when I was at a convention. I said, you know, we need to be more about pop culture libertarianism. And I said, you know, everybody in this room, raise hand if you've read Mises on liberalism. I raised my hand, Jacob Hornberger did, like maybe two or three people in the room. And then I said, well, raise your hand if you've watched Star Wars. Everyone's (laughs) hand shoots up. And I said, well, that's about a ragtag group of freedom fighters who are tearing down an authoritarian empire rooted in fascism. Uh, Pretty cool story to tell, pretty libertarian, uh, but we don't communicate that well enough. So uh, while I've read up on some economics, I'll be honest, I am somebody who is definitely more of the uh, spiritual libertarian, social libertarian, uh, and somebody who you know has always found more value in kind of finding the 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 art and culture in the in the liberty message there because it's way easier to translate to people. Like, if you want your daughter to become a libertarian, do not hand her uh, don't don't hand her you know uh, Mises or Rothbard. Hand her the Hunger Games and be like be like Katniss.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, it's funny that you bring that up because you know uh, I got into an interesting though,
1: though. I do have this book. Hold on. Okay. So this is my coffee table book, Friedrich Hikes, The Constitution of Liberty. So nice. I'm not a complete non-libertarian nerd. I still do. Uh, and, I, and love I, got, it. I got Harry Brown's book around here somewhere too. I was reading that as well. So and there's plenty of libertarian reading going on, but uh, I've always found a lot more value. And particularly when I'm on the campaign trail of not getting swamped with libertarian stuff, because it's all I talk about when I'm on the road. So I'm like, let's deprogram with a little Game of Thrones or a little Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, while I'm on the road
0: okay I dig that man now you know the, you are by far the best speaker of all of our presidential candidates by far it's not even close honestly
1: you're, you said it not me
0: well you know I did say it now and I'll stand by it it's fine but you know you're, you're amazing with your words you, you know how to come across that people You're you're good on the debate stages you know but like, what fuels that? Like, are you listening to anything? I'm a big music nerd. So we're going to go there. Like, are you listening to anything in particular that gets you fucking jacked up to go like debate people or go go campaign or whatever it is?
1: I mean, I have the weirdest. Uh, so I I don't do Spotify, I do YouTube music, because if you do YouTube music, you get ad for YouTube for free. So it, there's a plug out there for people who hate YouTube ads. Uh but I have, like, the weirdest liked music playlist. It, like, has the most varied stuff. Um, but when it comes to, like, working out, I like either really fast punk rock or, like, good metal music. Um, but lately, I've been trying to find more music that has Liberty themes to it. And I want to throw this, this song out there to folks. Uh, there's a song by the band called The Street Dog um their lead singer used to be the lead singer of dropkick murphy's way back in the day he's, uh, oh
0: wow okay
1: but uh it's a song from the early 2000s it's called final transmission and it is a song that is written uh to be coming from the point of view of a young man who dies in the war in iraq he's 19 years old and it's a it's it's the last letter that he's written under his helmet it's his final transmission out to the who he loves and it's a great anti-war song and that's actually a song that as i was uh doing my morning walk today came across my playlist i hadn't heard it in years uh but it really affected me today as i was listening to it particularly since we've seen um uh the, the bushnell the young man uh who self emoliated uh which i don't support i don't think that's a good idea let me just say it right now if you're thinking that's a great idea to protest do not do it you have friends and loved ones who care about you uh, and they would rather see you being a voice for peace alive than being somebody who's dead. But uh, hearing that story and then hearing that song today really made me think about the trauma that so many of our young men and women in uniform have gone through. Uh, I know this was supposed to be the light and fun part. I know. I'm sorry. Just really drag oh, it no, down. No, that's
0: good. No, I I like But this. it is a
1: profound song. So it's by the, again, it's by the Street Dogs. It's called Final Transmission.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: I recommend anybody out there listen to it if you do and that doesn't radicalize you against the United States war machine, I mean, I don't know what will.
0: Yeah, I, it's funny you bring up the Dropkick Murphys. I love telling this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire world. Um, when I was in my early 20s, which was forever, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you actually. Um, I'll be, by the time this show comes out, I'll be 44. There's going to be a birthday in between here. Oh, well,
1: happy I, early birthday, man.
0: I'm actually the oldest 11-year-old you'll ever meet in your life, and I'll let you go from there with that. I'll let you figure it out. But uh, yeah, that's it's real. But uh, anyhow, um, you know, when I I went down to Southie, I went to South Boston to a bar called Meg O'Malley's to see the Dropkick Murphys perform on St. Patrick's Day. Nice. And this was probably 2004. God, it's been a long time. I'm old now. But like that vacation. It was supposed to be a long weekend. Me and my buddy stayed for 10 days. We came home. We didn't have Josh. We didn't have anything. We partied, and that was that. But we saw the Dropkick Murphy's at a little shithole bar that's probably as big as my basement that I'm in right now. You oh. know, and it's the coolest thing ever.
1: Well, speaking of St. Patty's Day uh, concerts and traditions, you know, I used to have a tradition with my friends. Uh, almost every year I went to go see, uh, and they're unfortunately not coming to Atlanta this year, the Green 17 tour with. uh, uh flogging molly man they're a great celtic rock band uh awesome music it's actually where i first heard the street dogs i think was they were on tour with flogging molly at the time but they used to come through atlanta like uh, right before st patrick's day every march and i would go out with friends every year uh good times good music good friends uh i do love that kind of uh that irish celtic punk rock sound i've always appreciated it but uh yeah like i said my music taste is pretty crazy because i can also i you know i'll be listening to that one minute and then miley cyrus comes across the playlist the next second i'm like oh, i like this song too i tell people when they go what kind of music do you like i say i like good music good country music good pop music good rock music good punk music good whatever the genre is i don't like crappy music and some people they like one genre of music and they even like the bad kind of it i don't like that i like to have a really eclectic uh taste but uh you're making me now want to go pop some flogging molly into my playlist and uh and rock out tonight after this goes off after we're done Flogging
0: molly lives just a couple miles from me literally they uh they are they're out of detroit um as a matter of fact they they live in a house they live in the house two houses down from my cousin's place where he grew up, where I kind of grew up too. It's kind of, it's a very bizarre situation. I just made sure to look it up to make sure that I was flogging Molly. I know this because my cousin who grew up in that house actually is a uh, runner for Live Nation.
1: Nice. So, well, so Live these, Nation sucks, but good on your friend for having a good well, job. No,
0: like So when these, you know, Live Nation does suck, but when these acts come to town, like any concert, you know, whatever... He's got to take care of them. If they need green M and M's, he's got to go get them. If they want vegan hot dogs, they got to go get them. If I mean, they need some weed, he's got to go get it. You know what I mean? That's his job through Live Nation.
1: Well, if he can get me, you know, if if I'm ever in Michigan, he can get me the uh, the end on a WWE show. I'd be very happy with that because huge WWE and AEW fan. So uh, that's usually what I go see when I go see a live performance of something these days. Uh, whenever I have time, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I'm also a member of the pro wrestling caucus and libertarian.
0: Ha, ha! That's yeah. awesome, dude. So, I happen to be a wrestling fan. Um, not not in the last handful of years. It's just kind of well, I shouldn't say handful. The last few lives just been busy, but you know, um, I was a huge fan growing up. I grew up during the golden era. I'm 44 years. I'll be 44 at the end of
1: yeah. The- you were right there during the Attitude Era, man. So like like and and then the in the, uh, the next new generation era before that. So like right in the sweet spot.
0: But I was at wrestlemania three hulk hogan versus
1: andre the giant jeez awesome
0: that was at the pontiac Silverdome, which is no more it's been torn down it's amazon now there's a big amazon warehouse there now but uh yeah man and, and as a matter of fact i saw michael jackson in concert at the pontiac Silverdome too
1: that you got to the- go to an awesome wrestlemania you know like a legendary wrestlemania i got to go to wrestlemania 27 in uh, atlanta where i got to watch Michael Cole Russell, Jerry Lawler and watched Snooki wrestle from the Jersey Shore. Ah! Um, the, hey, I still got to watch The Undertaker and some other, and, you know, for a long time it was Edge's last match until he came back to the business years later, but uh, great event. And like, yeah, neither, neither here nor there. I think it's awesome live event. Um, and uh, it is one of those things that definitely... If you want want something that humanizes your presidential candidate, yes, Chase Oliver is a giant WWE fan, has been since he was four years old. So, like, uh, and I'll tell you right now, man, if you want to get back into the fandom, uh, they're doing some cool stuff right now. Uh, They really are. And, you know, uh, notwithstanding the Vince McMahon lawsuits, he's out of the company. He's no longer has anything to do with it. Uh, But The Rock is now on board. And uh, he is... Definitely making some moves. And now that the company is owned by the same group as uh, UFC, they're now under this umbrella called TKO. uh, The presentation has gotten a lot more sports-like in nature. So like, just the way the stuff is shot, the way it looks, it's fresh. It's new. It looks very different. And it looks great the way they're doing it. So I would recommend maybe uh, checking it out. WrestleMania is in a few weeks. Cody Rhodes is going to finish the story against Roman Reigns. And uh, yeah, so check it out.
0: I actually, uh, I watched Raw last night. I tried to get through Elimination Chamber, but look, man, I'm falling asleep on the couch by like 8.30, 9 o'clock. Yeah, it, some of these shows are like, like five hours long. long. You watch that stuff, man. But that's pretty cool, you're a wrestling fan. Now, before we go, last question. There's a natural disaster. Your house is on fire. You can only save a couple things other than yourself and, and your family and your, your animals. Yeah, what album are you saving?
1: What book are you saving? Let's see. I had some pretty valuable comics. Um, well, the book I'm saving is my family Bible that I inherited from my grandfather.
0: Okay, that's perfect. That, okay.
1: That's going to be the book I save. Uh the you said the album? Like, what album would I be saving? Yeah, what album
0: are you saving?
1: Oh, so like, this is um, assuming physical music still exists because it's not on yes. my phone oh man uh probably you know what i used to have i used to have the actual the black album on cd that was my favorite cd in high school metallica's the black, black album? album uh metallica's the black album it's got oh yeah like it's So that was like that was a cd that i probably played so much that it literally wore itself out um so that is probably one i would if i were having to run out with an actual physical piece of music that would probably be one of them uh but i don't know man yeah rumbly uh oh i know what i would take my blu-ray of the lord of the rings that would be coming with me
0: awesome (laughs) Awesome, man well before we get out of here do you want to plug your stuff one more time let's uh
1: absolutely if you want to go and see uh join the team of a powerful and positive messenger of liberty if you want to be a part of the vote chase uh of the chase oliver for president team i urge you to go to votechaseoliver.com Check out the Get Involved tab. Become a volunteer or a donor supporter. Every dollar helps us travel across the country. Like I said, uh, in just the last two weeks, we'll have visited ten states, uh, five states in the country, and that's just the last two weeks. Help us continue to do that. Spread the message of liberty. And if you're a delegate who's listening to this, I want to get in contact with you, and I hope to earn your support. Go to VoteChaseOliver.com and follow us on social media, at Chase for Liberty. And thanks for the opportunity to speak to your, uh, to your listeners.
0: Always, man. It's it's a pleasure. I love I love having you guys on. Honestly, like you know, one thing one thing I love is competition. I love competition. So I love seeing you guys go at it, man. I just man, and I look forward to you coming to Michigan. You know, I'm not too sure if they're doing a debate or town hall type thing. You know, I'm I'm a little bit out of the loop. I'll know more tonight. There's the LPMI. I think well, I'm actually a uh, I'm a delegate to the state of Michigan, so I'm a little bit involved for uh, LPMI.
1: Well, I'll be in some debates going forward. Uh, The free and equal debate on Thursday in New York. Me and Lars Mapstead against some uh, leftists. Uh, And then we got uh, this Saturday. I will be, I think, in both Virginia and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, participating in debates. Two debates in one day. Doesn't that sound like fun, you guys? Uh, No, but seriously, check us out on the website. Keep following along with the campaign. Can't wait to get up to Michigan to see you in person.
0: Awesome. Till next time, peace, love, and liberty. Be good, y'all, man.
1: Peace, love, and liberty.